الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمدًا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وبارك وسلم تسليمًا كثيرًا كثيرًا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إذا جاء نصر الله والفتح وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا 
فسبح بحمد ربك واستغفر انه كان توابا صدق الله العظيم سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا انك انت العليم الحكيم مولاي صل وسلم دائما ابدا على حبيبك خير الخلق كلهم honorable respected beloved elders and brothers once in makkah mukarrama amidst the persecution that was taking place amongst the sahaba radiyallahu ta'ala anhum bilal radiyallahu ta'ala anhu being dragged on the hot sands of makkah other sahaba being persecuted in other ways some are being choked some are being whipped others are being lashed one sahabi comes to nabi akram sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the sahabi asks rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam while he is reclined against kaaba that when is the victory going to come are you not going to ask allah tbaruk wa taala for the victory and that is possibly every believer's heart is asking the same thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it clear in the Quran Nasrun min Allah wa fathun qareeb The help of Allah the nusrat of Allah is qareeb it is close how close Allah tbaraka wa ta'ala did not say Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam now sits up from the reclining position and he says that the victory of allah will come but you people are in haste allah will bring such fatah allah will bring such victory that a traveler will travel from sanaa to hadramaut in yemen and there will be not a person that will touch the traveler and the traveler will never be in a state of fear brothers and friends throughout this week in this masjid different aspects of palestine the gaza al-quds masjid al-aqsa alhamdulillah was discussed by various ulama allah reward them all the one aspect that is now left is our response to the present crisis and allah forbid if there's crisis ahead when we look through the history of al-aqsa the islamic history the one conqueror was sayyidina umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu we all know and then we see the second conqueror that we all heard of his name salahuddin ayyubi rahimahumullah lots of effort has been made by both islamic writers and also non-islamic historians on the life of salahuddin ayyubi rahimahumullah and there is consensus on the fact that he was a great warrior he was a great leader a strategist a person who understood war to the best at that particular time on the surface of the earth now they are the unspoken words with regards to salahuddin ayyubi rahimahumullah and this has also been articulated by non muslims and that is what were the basic foundations of salahuddin ayyubi rahimahumullah 
And what was the personality of Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah? Was it all about war? Was it all about strategy? Or was there something else within Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah that not only liberated Al-Aqsa, but created a renaissance in the Islamic world? So today we will discuss some of the principles and personalities of Salahuddin Ayyubi. Friends, this is for me and it is for you to learn, to understand, imbibe and bring into our lives. When we look at the history or the condition of the Ummah before Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah had come to leadership, then we will find that from the political aspect, the Ummah was in disarray. You had multiple dynasties in different regions of the Islamic world at that time. I'm not going to go into the details. But one is, you had the Saljuks, you had the Abbasis, you had the Fatimis. Fatimis, you know, were Shias that was ruling over Egypt and a great part of Palestine at that time. On the other hand, the sectarian aspect of this Ummah, you had the Shias, you had the Sunnis, you had a group of people that probably we even haven't heard of, like the Mu'tazilat. They had different beliefs from the beliefs of the Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah. So when leadership came to Salahuddin Ayyubi, it didn't come on a golden platter. It was not a silver spoon that was given to him. When he had gained leadership of Egypt, he was only 20 years old. And this is mind-boggling, that going forward from 20 years old and to acquire the leadership at the age of 20, Look at me when I was 20. Look at you when you were 20. Look at our children when they were 20. Where are they? Are they in a position to lead their own lives? So there had to be something. There had to be some influences on Salahuddin Ayyubi that brought about this change. He understood one thing for sure, life was not a joke. He understood that there was this mission there was this kalima, la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that had to be defended. Nonetheless, when we look at Salahuddin Ayyubi, 20 years old, he gains leadership in Egypt, and he immediately understood that there is this liberation of Al-Aqsa that is urgent. And Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah, does not go forward with that aspect of his life for the next 13 years. What does he spend 13 years in? The first aspect was to create unity between the different dynasties, to create unity between the different rules. Remember, some, some of them were just ruling cities. They had their flag planted and they were happy. There was income, the Baytul Mal, the wealth of the people, and it was being squandered. But Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah 
understood that for this ummah to gain victory and to liberate Al-Aqsa, the urgent need number one is to create unity in the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Friends, while visiting in the house of Allah, Allah give us that spirit. Allah give us that spirit. If the ummah is disunited, that's another thing. But many of us work to the disunity of the ummah in the name of Islam. And that becomes a very difficult thing for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Go back to the battle of Badr, Surah Al-Anfal. Allah speaks about different aspects of Badr. And what does Allah Ta'ala say? وَأَتِيعُ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَلَا تَنَازَعُوا فَتَفْشَلُوا وَتَذْهَبَ رِيحُكُمْ وَاسْبِرُوا Be obedient to Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Two commands. And then one prohibition. وَلَا تَنَازَعُوا Do not create dissension and unity amongst your ranks. We agree. وَأَتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ Unity is based on Qur'an. Unity is based on the Tawheed and the oneness of Allah. It is based on the Sunnah of Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It is based on the Aqidah of the Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah. We all agree with that. But as let us also agree to disagree. Many instances, we agree on 99 aspects. We have a difference of opinion in one. And we will make that one so big that the 99 falls off. Allah give us the tawfiq. Salauddin Ayyubi had a scribe by the name of Al-Adil. And he often said that the pen of Al-Adil is the sword of Salahuddin. Al-Adil himself narrates that once Salauddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah was left all alone in his tent. And again, friends, ask the question, where did Salahuddin live? He had no address, he had no home. If you want to know something else, Salahuddin Ayyubi had never performed a single hajj in his life. His preoccupation in the liberation of Al-Aqsa and in uniting the Ummah of Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wasallam kept him so preoccupied that it short-lived him from making that momentous journey to the Haramain Sharifain. But nonetheless, Al-Adil goes into the tent of Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah and lo and behold, he finds this man crying. He says that the tears had not only moistened and wet his cheeks, it had wet his beard and now it was dripping on his clothing. He saw this up in the air and he asked him after a while, O oh Salahuddin, what makes you cry? He says, the sword. The sword, the sword of the believers are being used more amongst and against themselves than against the crusaders. So brothers, that was one of the very fundamental aspects of Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah's life of bringing this ummah together and alhamdulillah he achieved that in a short span of 13 years. In that 13 years, Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah had also saw 
seen another very great weakness amongst the Muslims. And this again, let us introspect and take stock of our lives. That the Ummah lacked the understanding of deen. The Ummah was detached and disassociated from the kalima la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And in that 13 year period and even after the victory of Al-Aqsa and right till the end of his life, this was an effort that he gave his every second towards. He opened up what was called Nizamiyas in those days. Nizamiya, what we will call a maktab or a madrasa, where children and adults will go, where ulama will teach the deen of Allah and the very basics of Islamic education. And again, unfortunately, brothers, do the reflection. Today, where do we send our children? Today, where do we send our children? And if we are sending them to madrasas, do we prioritize Islamic education? Is it something that is priority number one in the life of a family, a parent, a child? And this is where Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah had spent much of his time so that people will learn the deen of Allah. Remember, this is that process of preparing the ummah of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So those were the two very basic fundamentals or principles of the life of Salahuddin Ayyubi rahimahumullah. Obviously the third you will know was his participation in jihad fi sabilillah. And the fourth was the liberation of Al-Aqsa. Many an individual has reported that until Al-Aqsa was not liberated, Salahuddin Ayyubi never smiled, let alone a laugh. Measure ourselves. Measure ourselves to this. And once a person commented, Salahuddin, we don't ever see you smile. He said, how can this, this face wear a smile? And how can food and even water taste good when Al-Aqsa is occupied by the enemies? Now I just want to take you to the other side. And that is, what was he up against and who was he up against? We all know it was the Crusaders. But what was some of the hallmarks of the Crusaders? To understand this great battle that he had fought for the liberation of, of Al-Aqsa. We all may know that it was Pope Urban II that had written out the decree. It was poverty, uh, Europe was poverty stricken and now they needed some wealth and again and again and again and these are the lessons in the name of religion that go and deal with the infidels, destroy the infidels. That was such a decree. Friends, in a place called Ma'arra, that is present day in Syria, when the crusaders had come in and they invaded, today we lament the death of children, and friends, I will also agree, leave one life, one drop of Muslim blood is too valuable. And one blood that is spilled of a Muslim should be mourned. But what they did to the children in Ma'arra was they slaughtered the children. 
they mutilated their bodies, they threw it, the pieces into a pot, it was cooked and eaten. That was the crusaders if you want to understand it. On the other side, the intentions were so sinister and so evil that the decision had been made that to capture the Haramein Sharifain, Makkah Mukarramah and Madina Munawwara, and so that the body of Rasulullah